Welcome to episode seven of the Self Agency podcast. Simon is on sabbatical today, and I am with Ema Coleman, who um, we've known each other for quite a long time, haven't we, Ema? Yeah, definitely since 2009. Maybe? 2009. Yeah. Actually, when we met, it was the building right next to us, which is the GLA. Yeah, in London's um, living room. Exactly. But you did a lovely talk, um, was it last week? Yeah, week before. Week yeah. before. Um, about the theatre of change and the idea of owning your own story and your own narrative and that spoke to me um, and certainly the things we're doing at the self agency around that idea so I just thought well given given your knowledge of data digital all the experiences that you've had and and that it would be nice for us to have a conversation and talk about what self agency means what self agency means to you And I guess the, the context of that talk was is the uh, Theatre of Change Symposium, which was organised by the National Theatre in Ireland uh, for the 2016 centenary of the uprising, which happened 100 years ago. So really looking at you know the future in that context, you know, what is the division into the future? Um, and so I really was putting together a talk for artists and theatre practitioners who are not necessarily very technologically savvy. So I thought, well, I don't really want to give a talk about big data or open data because, you know, it's a subject that people don't easily grasp. And so I was trying to talk really about how, you know, you only exist if the, if the machine can find you. And mm. a lot of theatre practitioners and artists don't routinely engage with the internet. And so a lot of the stuff that I was talking about, about my own background in the arts in the 80s in Ireland, but also a lot of the audience. So would have been performers and directors and writers. But when you search for a lot of their stuff, it's not available on the web. And so mm. my point was, this is really important content because you know our collective, it's important to have our collective cultural contributions. And if they can't be found in the future, you know, they're not going to be archived anywhere. Yeah. Then that's a bit of the story that's missing. Yes. Um, and so I was trying to instill the importance of maybe looking at what they have as content, whether that's headshots or playbills or programs or reviews, to start seeding those things back into the web so that the machine can find them in the future. Because often artists, I think st- try to stand apart from technology. Mm. They see it as a kind of dumbing down, or but you know we would look at it as one of the most societally challenging things that has happened, yes. certainly in our lifetime. Uh, and so it was a bit of a call to them also to challenge uh, kind of what I'm calling what I would call platform capitalism. So you know the immense gains that the, those few at the technological top of the elite mm. have based on our content, our stories, like Instagram. Mm. Um, and to try and get them to use their cultural practices to call that new uh, kind of economic uh, sort of you know futurism into account. Yes, yeah, because uh, Simon and I were chatting. You know, when we first started these podcasts, we sort of said, "Well, Google us," you know, because we can be found on Google. But Google is not a neutral utility. Google has its own interpretation yeah. with its own algorithms of what is or isn't our reflected identity to other people. That's right. And if you look at how long, I mean. You know, if you've been using Gmail or using Google for 16 years now, mm. you know, there's a pretty perfect, I imagine, virtual uh, version of me, you know, in, 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 mm. in the States. And what does that say about me? So I thought recently what I'm going to do is download, you can download all of your history. And I was going to look at that to see what picture that would give of my life over mm. the last 16 years, you know, because it's everything I search for, everything I desire, you know. But what does the looking at that in an abstract, in a non-contextualized way say? to Google yeah. know, because they are making judgments that include moral judgments about me mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of concerns me because the 
algorithm is such a black box, we, we can't see into that. We don't know the decisions that, you know, are there decisions to politically remove certain, you know, autocompletes. We've seen that, you know, controversy in Guardian this week. Mm. Uh, mm. So, you know, these are not neutral decisions, right? So, yeah. and they have, they have powerful effects. So I'm kind of trying to say to software engineers more and more, you know, you're not just engineers, you're social engineers and the consequences of what you are engineering uh, have implications for all of us, you know, so it's kind of like we've got these engineering overlords and then we have to deal with the consequences which aren't even obvious because it's only when they hit critical mass mm. you suddenly think, well, how is that happening? Mm. You know, and so those kind of algorithms are driving out different types of inequalities and yes. redefining what we mean between work and play and what's social and, you know, I think I was talking to you earlier about the idea of a social factory, so, yeah. you know, the idea that we work for an employer and then we use Facebook as a social activity, well actually we're also working for Facebook as a social activity because everything we are putting in there is feeding their data engine, which in turn they sell on to other people. So this is just so, you know, one of the people I'm reading at the moment, I can't remember the author's name right now, it refers to it as the social factory. Yeah. So the yeah. factory has permeated outside and who we are as employers and who we are as social beings are, are merged in ways that we don't think about. So it's our stuff that's generating a profit with no return to us. And it's still early enough days for us not to really spend much time thinking about, for example, conscious determinism, you know, so we don't, we don't post with a much of a mindset as to what this will look like as part of the overall picture. We don't think that our own conscious decisions are an important part of that equation because people haven't really been schooled in the idea of, of being able to manage their own identity. I mean, my background is very much, very much about how organisations have been managing their identities yeah. for a long time. But individuals, now that we're much more disintermediated, you know, this is all totally new and the skills aren't there. And we are able and, and sort of old enough, I suppose, to, to know the difference between the digital world and the analogue world. But what about the kids growing up today who don't and who assume that this context is the only one that there is? You yeah. know, there are some big issues ahead. Yeah, and, and also that you know, this, this um, sort of, you know, you've got 900 million Gmail users, right, in which we signed away in perpetuity our correspondence, including the right for them to mine our email attachments, to look for tone, you know, so they have a, they have an, you know, mm. you know, never in history has somebody had that, you know, ability, a social science, scientific dream, isn't it, yes. to have that amount of human activity, to be able to analyse and, and, and monetize that. Mm, right? mm. And you have to look at, you know, we don't know what, what'll happen to Google, well, it decides to sign up, you know, sell all its data to China or yeah. to any government, right? You know, and this idea of, well, do I really care if I'm a good person in the world? Do I really care whether people can see what I'm doing? You know, we have a right to privacy. We have a right to secrecy, mm. right, which people never talk about. I mean, I might want to explore, like you could do in the early days of the internet, where you could go into multi-user dungeons, or you could go into chat rooms, and there was that anarchy of Wild West serendipity, which was marvelous, right? Because yes. you could think, oh my gosh, I can go into Turkish chat rooms. Isn't that amazing? So all of that stuff which had a freedom and a naivety, an innocence about yes. it, right? Before the data started accumulating and then pivoting into something else. Yeah. So, you know, I think these unintended consequences are now intended. Yes. And they're yes. now being baked in. So if you look at Airbnb and you look at their uh, the amount of information they're looking for validation. So they, they want access to your email, that's fine. You does a verification, that's fine. But they also want access to your contacts mm -hmm. and the ability to manage your contacts and they want access to your Google Drive. Like mm -hmm. what is that about? Right? Yeah. That's just taking information because you can yeah. and forcing people if they want to access the service to go through that without giving them any explanations to how that's going to be used or suggesting that you have to give them access to your Facebook friends 
uh, or rejecting you in validation because you don't have enough Facebook friends. So, you know, this is kind of Wild West territory in the in the corporate sector, yeah. right? So they are working it out on the fly. Yeah. But the main objective is to gather the data because, you know, you don't even need to say why. Yeah. It's just let's gather it. Yeah. So I think they're very concerning things because there are behaviors then happening. So if you look at, you know, if you look at what they're calling or have called, you know, Chinese gold farmers and, mm. you know, War of World, World of Warcraft. World yes. Craft. And so you have, you know, over 500 million Asians doing 12-hour shifts a day for 30p an hour to win virtual currency, which is then traded. Now, the estimated value of that economy is 700 million. So, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So now we have, you know, virtual currency trading with the same bad behavior and exploitative and hidden nature as we have with our analog economy. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people are, you know, we've had corporate social responsibility for 30 years, but somehow technology is given this indulged place, you know, as if we don't have to scrutinize. I mean, we'd be shocked if, you know, if, if, if we were dealing with companies who were, you know, exporting their waste to developing companies and people had to, you know, yeah, eat yeah. a living out with that. But we have, you know, people working for Facebook, well, they're not actually Facebook employees, they're outsourced contractors working in Manila, who are looking at, you know, the filth of a billion people. Right? It's just a psychological waste that's being dumped down on top of them for a dollar an hour so that our Facebook experiences are clean and nice mm, and we're living in mm. so it's a very unsettling feeling. And if you, if you look at, you know, I was recently, uh, I started thinking about this about a year ago, I was Googling for a very large uh, uh, waterproof bag. And I suddenly thought, you know, that could like be like to bury someone. I thought, you know, what would a machine make of that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was for my garden furniture. Yeah. But my point was, I just felt, I am surveilled. Yeah. You know, I recently had a conversation with a chief constable where I was telling him about an app called Girls Around Me. There was a lot of controversy about a couple of years ago, and that pulled uh, Twitter data and um, Instagram data. So I could basically, because it was GPS yeah, located, I could use the app, I could locate young girls around me, like I could then go into their Instagram feed and I could go into their Twitter feed because most of them have the same names in the digital world. And because they have photographs and it's geolocated, I can mm. pretty much tell the local area that the girl is in. And you know, when you tell that to most people, they kind of go, that's really creepy. And it is really creepy. But the even creepier thing is those girls have no idea that's been done. Now, you know, where are the ethics for people like Twitter saying, we need to look at what third parties are doing with this data? And what is our obligation there to ensure that it isn't a public bad? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I was telling this to, to this chief constable, but I said I also, because I'm researching around that area, I'm researching terms like paedophilia. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So, so it comes I am around, restricted yeah. in my own home, in my own digital world, because I'm suddenly thinking, what does this look like? And it, it creates a kind of recursive stupidity yeah. because it narrows mm. the options for innovation in the long run rather than a recursive intelligence, you know, so whilst the yep. artificial intelligence may be getting smarter because it's teaching itself, our freedoms, our mores are being impinged by that, shaped by that, narrowed by that, and you're doing some really interesting work around ethics and governance, which, you know, is, is so crucial. Um, could you speak a little bit more about that? Just Well, some of the work I'm doing with Ernst yeah. & Young at the moment, I'm an associate with Ernst & Young, and so uh, we are looking at this idea of a of a good governance index, you know. So, you know, technology companies, we know, you know, the regulation that we have now for mainstream traditional companies are not gonna be fit for purpose for these digital propositions. 
so we're not looking at regulation per se, but at saying, you know, can we get these tech companies particularly to come on board and rank themselves in terms of issues like data privacy, you know, how they provide data to third party operators and to see can we get the industry as a whole mm. to, to improve themselves, you know, to accept that, you know, what started for them as, you know, in Facebook's case, a, a platform for a couple of college students is now utility used by a billion people, right? Um, you know, so maybe the thinking on the ethical considerations just weren't thought of along the way because the maturity of a lot of these companies as well. I mean, Eric Smith is quite open in saying he was brought in to be the adult in Google. Yes. <laughs> you know, would you expect a 24-year-old to have an understanding of, of ethical assurances that are required in the handling of very sensitive data, right? Mm -hmm. You know, not really. There are different cultural mores. If you're 24, your attitude to privacy is different to when you're 54. You know, but all of these issues are important. You know, for example, micro-tasking sites, which are basically a race to the bottom. So yeah, yeah. you know, you have these Facebook workers working for Olans, you know, or Elans, or um, yes, yes. Right. So, so you know, I would want companies to say, do you use micro-tasking sites? If you do, where do you know where your workers are located? Do you know what they're being paid per hour? So it's like a corporate social responsibility for for the digital world. You know, it's 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 the same. And ma and maybe there's a place where the individual and the corporate can meet in the middle. You know, in a new way. So with self agency, we're thinking about well, what would good self agency look like? What you know, what what are the digital skills that you need to know? What's your relationship to your data that you can develop? And yeah. um, how can you manage your own presence in a way that you have the ability to not necessarily be totally dependent on the Googles, the Facebooks? So how might one set up an independent presence? without having to be locked into all of those exactly. options, um, to feel digitally savvy, to be able to operate as a, a unit of one, those, those kinds of things. And uh, again, just going to another sort of part of the work that you've done, um, working with senior civil servants, for example, around engagement and around acquiring digital skill, what would you say to anyone thinking about developing a path of digital um, self-reliance and, and, and digital capability ar around this sort of leadership if you like in a digital age that, that you found is useful yeah because i think one of the one of the issues really was in civil service and it's the same in the private sector for c-suite leaders you know they are not natural technology adopters they tended to have been locked down you know in the blackberry days yeah to you know they didn't use iphones it's, so they, they, it's taken them longer to get up to speed um so uh, and even now with a lot of companies you know the, there are firewalls aplenty yeah yeah, so, so I've been struck by how, you know, more digital savvy people like us who've been early adopters, you know, it's just such a no-brainer to us, you know, you Google everything and you find yes. everything out in search. And you hack your way around. Yeah, and, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then they don't even use the internet. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, so like, you know, there isn't any problem you can't find some hook on, right, by searching and by yes. putting stuff together. And um, so I think it's, a, it's trying to get them to understand also it's a function of human beings. When you're a senior person and you're close to retirement, you're really just hoping it's not going to blow up in your face before you get there. Right? Yeah, That's yeah. the real thing. You know, it's, you're talking Steady about... Steady as she goes. Yeah, you're talking about middle managers, really, where you're trying to say, do you, do you see a future for your business? And if yes, how are you going to construct these different business models yes, yes. that will help you survive? And that's like asking them to unlearn everything they know because mm. issues of scale versus number of employees, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about those. So how do you fashion uh, you know, a future for your company right? when, when you know, the robots are coming to get you, basically? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's hard, right, for people to... And also they underestimate the speed of change. So they think, yeah, I get that, but it's not going to happen soon. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's a kind of a... 
willful denial, really. And sometimes it's just too scary. People don't want to learn anymore. You know? But the great thing about, about this uh, is, is that we can accelerate our capabilities quite quickly. And there is so much resource. You know, you and I have both been in situations where we've been able to ask, ask the internet, you know, crowdsource yeah. our intelligence. And with trusted networks, you know, the trust network yeah. is really, really powerful, you know, because there is a soft side to all of this tech, which is the goodwill and the uh, relationships that we can have that create compound value, you know, if we network well and if yeah. people like what we do and, you know, put our, yeah. our good stuff out. So, Although I don't know, you know, I've been thinking that recently about Twitter, which, you know, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with now. I mean, I really loved it when it started, yeah. and, and, but it had that very conversational engaging connected feeling about it and now I struggle to find the content you know I yeah. have to go look for the friends that I want to see yes. specifically or put them in lists etc um, so I've noticed myself using it less yeah me too um, and when people say to me well when senior executives say to me should I go on Twitter I'm going if you're asking that question you really shouldn't yeah, yeah. because like either it has value for you or it doesn't I mean it's still great for I had a wonderful uh, experience the other day where I was uh, reading uh, or looking at a lecture in LSE uh, by, uh, I think his name is Frank Pascale. Who, oh, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Who was talking about the, the promise and threat of algorithmic regulation. He's written a book called The Black Box Society. That was just a wonderful talk. And I just tweeted him. I said, thank you so much for doing this amazing talk. And uh, he came back straight away and he said, thank you, Kenneth, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm doing some research on technoethics. And he immediately connected me to five people yeah, yeah. who are some of the cutting edge thinkers in their fields. And that's the really wonderful side of it. And when I try to encourage senior leaders to do that, I'm quite tactical about how I mm. show use for them. Because just saying to people, you should go on Twitter, it's yeah. like really why they don't know. And the game changes. You know, these things don't stay the same. They change their algorithm. They change all of their edge yeah. rankings. They change all of that. So do we, I think, the nimble dexterity with which we decide which tools we want to be using today for what ends, you know, that's part yep. of the consciousness that will help us raise our game. You know, it's not a case of just because we've signed up, it's a bit like bank accounts, just because we signed up to one doesn't yeah. mean we have to be there forever. So when it comes to raising the digital game, yeah. that's and part of it, is I that. think also, so, so for example, I, one of the reasons I still find it useful is for a sort of informal mentoring of younger yeah. women. Yeah. who want to succeed in business or want to feel so it doesn't have to formalize uh, yes. mentoring yes. so they can ask you a question or you know because by inference if you're on the platform it's open and I found that really amazing because yes. it has helped me connect them to other women some more influential women mm. you know so that conversation continues and I think but I think fundamentally it's who you are as a person mm. it's, it's what values I always say to people uh, in managing teams traditionally myself in you know in, in, in government or private sector you have the woman problem right because if you're a senior woman you're automatically a bitch that's just a game right and Cheryl Sandberg's it's so not true yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean that's the yeah. assumption and, yeah. and all of the Harvard studies show that so when, yeah. they, when they, they they give a scenario the same scenario in yes. one there's a man one there's a woman you know the man comes off favorably the woman does not right mm. so it's just and that's women included who mm. think oh so you know you have to work through that bias Right? Yes. To prove over time yeah. that you're not a bitch. Yeah. Women I meet that I only know on Twitter, that I meet for the first time, it's completely opposite. Yeah. They come up, yeah. they give me a hug. Yeah. Say yeah. We just know there's none of that bias there because they see you behaving <clears throat> in a sharing way, in a yeah. connecting C way. Creative way. Yeah. 
It's incredible. Yeah. And it took me ages to figure out that out. I was yeah. thinking, what is the difference? Yes. And the difference is when you come in cold as a senior woman, yeah. the bias is just there. It's just sitting on the desk in front of you. Yeah. Whereas that's not the learned behavior of people who've been connecting with you on, on Twitter, other women. So that's been really yeah. valuable. So what is what I've learned to do is to try and behave more like my Twitter self. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is myself, but you know what I mean? It's to learn some of the things that are you know, because the platform encourages a brevity, it encourages a certain use of language or, you know, emoticons, which I would never have used in an email. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? You kind of yeah. think, well, maybe if I was more like my... So it's interesting, I think, for... I found it interesting over the years to look at what it means for your identity and how you express yourself and therefore how people see you. And that's a nice place to, to, to end, perhaps. You know, this difference between the industrial aged and the networked age is about connection. It is about that creativity beyond the get it right first time, performance anxiety. Uh, and maybe, you know, we can, as women, help usher that in through the work that we do. Ema, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure.